This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momentum. Welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momentum, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative as always. We welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to edition 136 of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. Today, I'd like to welcome Matt Kirshner, Chief Product Officer for Atonix Digital, helping companies simplify asset performance management. Matt leads the product management and customer success teams at Atonix bringing nearly two decades of experience as a reliability and performance consultant and product manager and training as a mechanical engineer to solve the operational challenges of its clients. Before the spin out of Atonics from Black & Beach, Matt served as product manager for their Asset 360 product line, as well as the supervisor for their 24-hour-a-day monitoring diagnostic center. Matt, welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Enjoy the show. I'm happy to uh, be a part of it. And really happy to have you uh, on here as uh, as well. So let's start a little bit with your own professional leadership journey. What would you consider to be the common threads of that leadership journey? I, I think that's an interesting question. I've heard you ask other other guests that question, and I've I've pondered it myself. Um, from my my personal career, I think it's been more of uh, a steady progression that more so than than you know a big jump from here to there and so i kind of think of the common thread is is continuous innovation you know how do we how do we keep getting keep getting better um when i first started we were we were just beginning to offer some remote uh, consulting services uh, for for at the time mostly power generation plants and and it was fairly simplistic. We would pull in some data a couple times a week and run some spreadsheet tools and and uh, offer some advice. And then it was always just a, how do we do this a little better? How do we use a little better math? How do we uh, do this more frequently? And and then ultimately kind of go into a real time solution in about uh, 2009. And then really recognizing that software that we're using to facilitate a service has its own inherent value. How do we now commercialize it as a software? And then once you have the software up and running, how do you how do you make it better and, and really start solving the problems uh, more efficiently? So that that steady progression, uh, it's just incremental innovation. How do we do things better tomorrow than than how we're doing them now? You know, essentially you say uh, no major shifts, yet I see you coming out of a mechanical <laughs> engineering degree and then jumping into your first role with Black & Veatch, of course, uh, the major construction company at the time, but as a software implementation engineer. So what inspired your not-so-major shift jump right. <laughs> <laughs> to software into Black & Veatch? Yeah, good point. Good catch there. Um I, I certainly didn't set out to be in software. I think it was just uh, opportunistic that I that I landed here. And and frankly, when I was talking to the hiring manager at the time, the thing that really intrigued me was was maybe a couple things. He would describe, you know, how 
how the team at the time was focused on leveraging thermodynamics and 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 really focusing on plant efficiency and how do they, how do you operate more efficiently and he said you know even if we save our customers just a fractional percent on on their efficiency it saves them millions of dollars and so frankly i think the two things that attracted me were were a that it was a real problem you know as a real benefit to the customers and and B, it was actually applying things that I had I had learned in in school. So, uh, I think those are the two things that that attracted me to the position, and it just so happened that that software was the the vehicle that helped me apply that. We've had um, many guests on this program who have had actually similar trajectories. In some cases, we'll call it like a full stack uh, engineering experience, if you will. Mm. Uh, and many actually starting off, you know, literally at the at the uh, chip level, but it's uh, it's interesting. I I I was tongue in cheek earlier about the the shift because I do believe there is a steady progression in that sure. regard of moving that direction, and software amplifying, you know, kind of the mechanical engineering yeah. skills, especially when you're talking about asset performance management or uh, you know large OEM equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, Something you said a moment ago about the hiring uh, manager at the time, um, you know, uh, I believe it was Beth Comstock over at GE when she was chief marketing officer who came up with this uh, this concept at GE Digital of the power of what they used to call one and two percent, right? And mm-hmm. and how, you know, dramatic the savings could be simply saving one percent of the fuel costs for a uh, diesel locomotive, as an example. Oh, right? yeah. And, and that was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. And and it you know, digital industry and in GE particular really comes back to 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 you know to that. It's simply one: how do we make things more efficient? But then two: how do we basically transform how we can interact with things? Right later yeah. on. So I, I, I we're already off to a good start because I think uh, we're at least aligned on that. Yeah. Well, one thing that one thing that I think is interesting is even in our in our space, many times customers are trying to prevent that one big problem, but what they end up finding is it's the aggregation of many problems that that drive the savings more so than than just the one major catastrophe. Mm. You know, uh, you you progress through increasing leadership roles in monitoring diagnostics as as well as you know operating intelligence. What problem at the time were you trying to solve, and for whom? It, I, I think the problem when when I think of that that term operational intelligence and what we hear from from customers, it's usually uh, two related issues that they're that they're trying to solve. The main one is, you know, we have more equipment failures than we can take. You know, those equipment failures are costing us a lot of money in downtime and and maintenance. And and maybe second. Or, or parallel to that is we have a whole bunch of data. We have all this operating data that that just kind of sits there, and we don't have any way to do anything proactive with it. So, when when I think of the problems that that we've been trying to solve for folks, it's how do we leverage all that data to prevent those equipment failures? And and frankly, that happens across across many different uh, industries. So I mentioned earlier that we we. Uh, kind of came out of the power generation industry, but what we found is the same problems exist whether you're thinking of power generation or oil and gas or pulp and paper or chemical processing or water and wastewater. But basically, any large industrial or manufacturing environment, they're all saying, I have a lot of data and I don't want things to break. 
Um, and so that's those those folks usually have people in many different roles that that uh, share in that problem. So sometimes it's engineering, sometimes it's the maintenance team, sometimes the operation team, management. Everybody has this shared vested interest in solving the problem of keeping their their plants up and running and and running efficiently. As we said earlier, you had um, you were the product manager for the Asset 360 product line um, at uh, at Black and Beach there, and and I know um, a lot of the what you had just discussed really was um, was built into that platform, the operating intelligence, the monitoring, diagnostics, etc., especially around process. What were some of the key use cases for Asset 360 uh, during that time? Yeah, I, I think. Um, the the main use case and the main thing that people were seeking is is that reliability issue, making sure the plants are running reliably, don't let equipment fail. And so the whole idea of leveraging the platform to detect, diagnose, and resolve issues, kind of that full life cycle of making sure you're getting from that data to the to the action. And and I think what they often find is that even though reliability might have been the key use case they were chasing, it it quickly shows that you know operational efficiency and and how uh, we're running efficiently to not consume as much much uh, fuel um, or chemicals or power, uh, whatever your consumable might be, though that efficiency becomes a pretty valuable use case as well. And then and then frankly, if you're preventing uh, equipment failures, it, it has a health and safety component to it also. You want to keep your workforce safe and, and preventing some of these significant equipment failures uh, becomes another use case that, that folks focus on. You know what? What intrigued me about some of our early conversations, and and part of the reason for uh, you know for featuring you on this was one, you know, you've been working on this since 2009. This is clearly a hot space, you know, asset performance management, and uh, and to do so under Black and Beach was an incredible platform because I imagine the wet breadth of use cases you were able to uh, to you know to work with. The other fa- facet was the fact that you guys spun this out of Black and Beach, which I've always uh, in- enjoyed the uh, corporate spin-out models and stories yeah. that go with that. So I know in 2017, you and several of the Asset 360 teams spun this out to create Atonix Digital. So what was the uh, the reason for the spin-out? Boy, the, the, the timeline actually starts long ago and before I started there, there, there was a small team of, of people in Black and Beach um, working on plant reliability and efficiency software all the way back into the, the 1980s. I joined in, in the early 2000s and um, we kind of still had this kind of niche team that was developing commercial software but it wasn't near as aggressive as, as uh, a traditional software company would be. As we uh, got to that 2009 time period and started to do this in real time, um, that's where the wheels started churning. Frankly, it was 2012 when there was the bigger shift. And that's when we said, we're going to move this to a cloud-based commercial software offering that requires, you know, it requires investment to to get that up and running. And so Black and Beach took on that that role as an investor to build the Asset 360 um, 
platform in the cloud. And that was really, so 2012 to 2017, where that initial spin out happened, we were um, embedded as part of some service business lines in Black and & Veatch. And, and there were some really good uh, complementary services to the software. So Black & Veatch was both commercializing software and services throughout that, that time period. And, and it worked well, but naturally you can imagine being embedded in a services PNL is challenging from a software business model. Those, the services PNL, they're, they're reporting on their, you know, their profit. They're trying to, to be as profitable as possible. And in an early stage, um, software, uh, initiative, it takes a lot of investment. And so those two, the whole investment business model and the services PNL were somewhat in tension with each other. Um, so that, that's what led to the initial spin out in 2017 is just that idea of this is a separate enough business that it should be operated like a separate business and operated like a software company. So that 2017 time period, uh, we formed Atonics Digital as a, at that time, a wholly owned subsidiary of uh, Black and & Beach and, and began operating, began operating independently. We, we still had, um, and, and to date, we still do have uh, great partner relationships with Black & Beach. So those services, P&Ls that we used to be in business with or in, in the same shared business, they're now operating as services partners and, and resellers of, of Atonic software. So we kind of operated in that, that initial spin-out method for three years and then actually beginning of of um, this year in 2021, we made one more move because there was still a little bit of that same challenge that we we had all along the way. So even though we were outside of a services PNL, Black and Veatch as a corporation is still, you know, focused on the services business model. They actually have this this mantra that um, goes back to. Um, one of the founders, N.T. Beach, it's get work, do work, make money. And that, I mean, it totally makes sense as a services business. You you sell a job, you execute the job, and you get paid for the job. But a software company or or any products company, really, it's, it's different. You're investing up front to build something that you commercialize later and, and you make your money on the back end instead of knowing exactly where that's coming from. So we still had a little bit of that, that um, tension within inside, even as a wholly owned subsidiary. And as we were looking into uh, our 2021 plans and, and talking with Black and & Beach in terms of, you know, what do we think is best for Atonics? And we we're saying, you know, we have some great opportunities in front of us. We think we should uh, invest uh, significantly this year to keep pushing forward. Um, and Black and & Beach saying, what's best for us? Well, we really love this services business. And we said, you know what? There are no shortage of, of companies that love to invest or, you know, there's no shortage of investment funds for software companies that are growing quickly. So if that's not your business model, let's, let's actually carve this completely out. Um, so myself and three others from the leadership team executed a, a management buyout and and secured external funding to make sure that 
you know, this thing continues to grow. And that allowed Black & Veatch to focus on what they love in the services business, where we're still partners, and allowed us to, you know, push to be more nimble and, and quick moving um, as, an, as a fully independent company now. Oh, well done. We uh, actually did a, a much smaller version, I'm sure, of the same um, carving out a uh, Swiss uh, digital startup from a, a service company in Germany earlier this year. And uh, we, did, we, found, we actually set it up as a, as a leverage buyout. Um, and huh. so, uh, yeah, you learn a heck of a lot going to that. It's, I think, our third one that we've done, but usually they're smaller companies. And it's interesting, we're, you know, either um, – these digital assets in some sense will emerge from a services business typically because they're trying to build a replicable infrastructure or conversely a lot of our digital investments we do on the venture side actually get a start doing a lot of services business uh, non-recurring engineering if you will to drum up business to learn etc right and sooner or later inevitably they split that part of the business off and only focus yep. on the digital side you know typically along that line of recurring revenue versus non-recurring so mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's an interesting model um, tell us a bit about Atonix digital then and some of your uh, some of your wins sure so uh, what's what's been great with Atonix here lately is we've we've ever since I suppose that initial 2017 it's been a certainly a learning process but some of the things that um, we've we've learned that are core focus areas for ourselves is the first one is how do we make complex math complex analytics easy to consume for the people who understand the assets. So in a, in a traditional model, a lot of times you have a data scientist who understands the math trying to team up with an engineering team or an operations team who understands the asset. And so that just is a little less efficient. And so one thing we focus on is how do we make the math still sophisticated but easy to use so that that you can just let those asset folks use it. And then the other focus area that we have is make sure that we recognize that the, the math or the analytics are really just a starting point. You know, the value delivered isn't in the math. The value delivered is in the action that's taken because of the math. So we want to focus on driving that process. So those are kind of the couple focus areas of Atonics is making that math easy to consume and making sure that the math drives a process. Um, and, and from a, you know, a wins perspective, we've, I consider it a win just in our industry expansion journey and seeing how we've been able to apply our software into new industries. Um, we have, uh, over 250 plants that are, that are, um, actively monitored by our software right now. And, and our customers and partners have, have resolved 30,000 issues. So I really think those are, those are some things that, that make me proud and excited of, of where we've been. And I could understand why it uh, might not have been too difficult to find investors for your business because uh, sure. if you show those kind of metrics and you show, uh, you know, uh, quarter over quarter growth uh, toward increasing those, uh, I imagine you had to beat off most of the investors in one form or another. <laughs> Yeah, there there's certainly people who are who are interested, and it's interesting when you when you even um, some of these shifts in business, people come knocking on your door for sure. 
Oh, yes. Yes. I can imagine, especially if you've got uh, latent uh, data, which in and of itself becomes a, a great way to benchmark companies and to you know build up a knowledge base of the industry. So I That's know really... uh, investors, particularly PE firms, have that as a thesis of what mm. types of companies they're looking for. Uh, like, uh, as an example, uh, OSI Pi, which, of course, finally was acquired by uh, Aviva. But you know that one was a, one of always the benchmark conversation with a PE firms talking about companies that have accrued a lot of data, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's really interesting, um, and, and frankly, it's something we're aspiring to capitalize on later this year. Is is how do we leverage those thirty thousand issues for the benefit of our customers? You know, there's a lot of knowledge that was gained in documenting how those issues were were resolved. So that is something we want to put some focus area to. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you've been at the forefront of uh, asset performance management or APM, as I'll call it, you know, going forward in the conversation for, uh, you know, the better part of, uh, of a decade. Tell me about what you've seen as the largest change uh, in asset performance management over that time. I, I, I think I, I ponder this a little bit, but I I think one of the biggest changes, and this is probably not unique to asset performance management, but it is, it's the idea of cloud adoption. Um, I, I look back and, and um, in our timeline that we've talked about here, uh, that 2011, 2012 is when we first moved to a cloud offering. And at that time, a lot of the customers that we work with were a little reluctant about the cloud. You know, they weren't confident in its security they, they weren't sure where their data was going. And so just it's been a, another steady pro, uh, progression that over the last decade, the same customers have gone all the way from reluctant about the cloud and, and, and software as a service offerings to, uh, you know, more of a cautious but accepting to they've accepted it. And now some of the same customers are saying we only want um, cloud offerings or SaaS offerings. So I think that's one of the things that has shifted pretty significantly over even the last decade, which just enables uh, the software to, to be, you know, uh, to progress faster, you know, having everybody hosted from a single environment um, making those updates as as quickly as we can. I think that's been a pretty powerful enabler for us. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, how to effectively utilize those 30,000 issues, um, you know, a great way is, of course, aggregating that anonymously, of course, and building patterns, right, which allows exactly. pattern prediction, um, benchmarking, all kinds of great stuff. And, and certainly SaaS, you know, lends itself very well to being able to uh, to do that. I, I guess I've already given a, a couple solid hints there, but you know, since we talked about the last decade, if, if I were to now forecast out for the next decade, you know, what do you think uh, that decade holds for uh, for um, asset performance management? Sure. Well, I think you, it's it's uh, funny that you you teed me up there for one, but I do think hopefully it's not the next decade. Hopefully it's a lot sooner than that when we're really knocking out that benchmarking and anonymous use of of data for the for the greater good. I think that's something from a technology perspective that I think is um, coming soon, and, and I'm pretty excited about that because uh, 
each individual customer only has so many of the same assets, right? They can only learn from what they have. And so if you have two facilities, that's, that's the depth of your knowledge base. But if you can find ways to, to uh, team up with, you know, all the similar facilities and, and learn from, from everybody, I think that's going to be pretty powerful. But in general, I think the next decade, I, I think that's one of many interesting um, progressions. I think another part of it is just going to be, and, and maybe this fits into it, is just how do we make this more efficient? How do you get from that wealth of data to action more efficiently? How do you get through the detect, diagnose, and resolve as as quickly as as possible? So I think that's that's what we're trying to kind of strive to figure out is make that as efficient as possible, leveraging as as little human time as as um, feasible. Um, but I think the nice, the nice thing that I, that gives me some degree of comfort is because, because the technology is applicable across so many different industries as any one industry has its ebbs and flows and, and, and good times and bad times. I think ABM being cross industry will have the benefit of continued progression, uh, and and we'll just kind of shift its focus from industry to industry as as certain ones are in their good times and bad times. Mm, yes, well, there's a, a lot more common in process industry. Uh, right. or, I should say perhaps between types of process industries uh, versus uh, discrete manufacturing, as an example, right? right. So a lot more use cases. One of our uh, other portfolio companies is a company called Sight Machine out of San Francisco, and oh, sure. they got their start really doing benchmarking of discrete manufacturing, things like footwear manufacturing machines, and so they mm -hmm. would benchmark. For a contract manufacturer like a Nike, as an example, they could look across all the machines producing their footwear globally, regardless of who was owning and managing the machines, and look right. at benchmarking to say, you know, which which contract manufacturers are performing the best, right? And of course, mm -hmm. the, you know, a lot of benchmarking to be able to get to that. And they've, I don't know, pivoted or have have been pulled into more and more process industry gigs, of which would not have been an obvious play for them initially, but, you know, the modeling that they've done really has played in very well toward uh, toward doing that. So I think your thesis about, you know, uh, this being very horizontal is uh, it's certainly right on based on, you know, their experience and, uh, and ours. Yeah, yeah we've, we've bumped into them actually a, a time or two in a couple process industries. So we, we are aware. Yeah, I think I think that is interesting for all of us. And and so it will be curious to see how each industry values the vertical versus horizontal. How much does each industry say, I really need you to dive super deep into the very specifics of my industry versus the industries that are learning or wanting to learn from other industries and have that more horizontal play. That'll be interesting to play out. Mm. Well, you, you guys certainly have great creds, you know, oil and gas, paper, um, you know, energy generation, you know, chemicals, et cetera. Um, and so those are all certainly hot spaces uh, in that regard. Let, let me ask, I guess, you know, earlier you, you, you had this mantra, which I love, you know, uh, get work, do work, make money. Um, in, in terms of the, the get work there, um, how do you know when a company is truly ready for APM? And, and I guess what best practices have you seen in driving APM success once they've adopted it? 
Yeah. I like, like about any technology, I think it seems like different uh, suppliers leverage a similar term in different ways. And so I, I do think that ABM can be applied um, in, in uh, relatively consumable or very complex uh, fashions. And, and we tend to suggest, you know, companies are probably ready sooner than, than they think they might be. Because if you have an approach that's really focused on driving action and making the math consumable, really trying to simplify the whole process, all you really need is data. And most of these process industries already have a lot of that process data. Um, so they have, they're ready because they have the pain point and they're ready because they have the data. Um, and so sometimes it's just kind of taking that first step and then they, they realize that, that it's, it's not as big of a leap as they might have, have uh, initially thought. So we always start with a question, a you know, personal question around your own leadership journey. And in some sense, I always like to bookend it that at the end and, and ask, you know, how do you find your inspiration as such? Um, I, I, uh, I like this question too. Your bookend questions are, are intriguing. Um, my, myself from an inspiration perspective, I've never been much of like a, you know, the big dreamer of what's out there and what could be, I, I tend to take more of a pragmatic approach of what's the next thing that needs, needs tackled. Um, and so from that perspective, <clears throat> the inspiration just comes from the customers. The customers are, are pushing to make their processes better, which, uh, you know, they'll encounter new problems that need to be solved. <clears throat> and they're not shy about telling you, here's, here's the problem I'm trying to solve now. And so, frankly, if you talk to enough different customers, you can see those, those themes of here are the things that we need to be focusing on. Um, and, and the, the problems we need to solve. And so my inspiration, frankly, just comes from hearing the challenges of, of, the, of the customer. Well, that would put you in good stead because I remember the autobiography of uh, Sam Walton way back when, mm. and I think he said something very similar. <laughs> very good. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and back to your point about you know, steady progression in that regard, I'm sure he would have qualified as, uh, as well. So, Matt, thank you for spending this time with us today. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you. Oh, it's been it's been absolutely great. And again, congratulations on a brilliant uh, spin out here and uh, and a real ramp up in this space. So this has been Matt Kirshner, Chief Product Officer of Atonix Digital, and if I might say, a lifelong pr practitioner of asset performance management. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. Thank you, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening. <laughs>